Welcome, everyone, and thank you for listening to the fifth season of Camille's Demi Hour. This is a half-hour show dedicated to sharing the Epicurean life and personal stories from Nantucket and beyond. Thanks again for listening to the show, and cheers! Welcome, good afternoon. This is Camille's Demi Hour on 89.5 Nantucket's NPR station. And today in the studio, we have the owner and founder. Wait, correction. I'm not the founder. <laughs> the Fleming family's are the founder. I'd like to be able to take credit, but I'm the second owner. Of Something Natural, yeah. which is one of the most famous sandwich and bread shops here on island. And we are going to talk all about bread and about that amazing company and the things that they have to offer and the history of bread on island. So, Matt, why don't we start with your history and how did you get to island? I was born here. I'm a native. I was born here in 1960. True native. Very few of those we can speak of or that have been in the studio. More of the, they're the transplants or the wash ashores as they call them. Yeah, there's a fair amount, but there's, there's a few of us around. <laughs> so you were born here and you grew yes. up here. And yes. um, how did you get into the food business? My parents owned, uh, they owned Henry Sandwich Shop and they owned the Skipper Restaurant. They wanted me to be a busboy. I went out and I poured water, water all over someone's seat. And I realized I didn't like working with the public. And I was, I was about 12 years old. So I started making donuts. So they put me over a, a fryer later for that summer. So. And then what progressed next? Well, as soon as I could get away from the fryer later, I started making bread. And uh, I was with a lady named oh, Helen Vanessa. And she's no longer with us. But she had learned from, I think, Frank Rose and... I'd worked at the Downey Flake for a bunch of years, mm-hmm. and she must have been, I, I was, you know, 14, 16 years old then. She must have been in her 60s or 70s. Do you remember what your first bread was that you made? Oh, it was Portuguese. Yeah. Everything's Portuguese. The <laughs> what Portuguese makes Portuguese here, bread Portuguese bread? Well, Portuguese is bread, is, it's basically French bread with milk in it, if you looked at the ingredients. And uh, in, in Nantucket, there, there's a sweet Portuguese bread, which is what you usually see in Hawaii or you see... New Bedford and Somerville, they sell a lot of sweet Portuguese, which is, you know, sort of our, the same bread we have with some, usually with cream or some spices or a little bit of egg or things in them. Mm-hmm. But we, you know, what we sell mostly here is, you know, sort of French bread with milk. And why did you start with Portuguese bread? Is that what they taught you? And that's what was popular during that yeah, time? They taught me. And and, uh, and that's sort of, it's sort of what's the It's a bake shop is the same thing. You know, Nantucket Bake Shop is... A, der- a derivation of the same recipe. Right. So. And so fast forward. So you ended up going to school at, at Harvard. And so what was that draw for your future and career? Were you thinking to do something else or were you still dreaming about bread? I wasn't sure. And mm-hmm. so I graduated and I didn't kind of know what to do with myself. I came back and worked for my dad. I had, I did a lot of interviews and got some job offers, but it just it didn't sit right. So I came and worked for the summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I traveled a bit. I went to I went and played lacrosse in Australia, and I worked out in Colorado and worked in bakeries kind of wherever I went, mm-hmm. and then ended up back here again, basically. And you spent some time abroad learning more about bread. When was that peak moment where you thought, this is my life, I love bread? <laughs> I, don't know if it, I don't know if it came like that as much as, and I've worked in some good places, and we can talk about those, but I, I think it was more that I wanted to work for myself. I kind of realized, I came back and I started doing some temporary work and office work and I was in Boston. I realized I I just hated it. Mm-hmm. You know, I liked being in places like Fremantle, Australia or, you know, Telluride, Nantucket that were, you could do three or four things in a day and it was, you know, I wasn't so constrained. Right. And then I realized I wanted to work for myself. 
I found, and I traveled with a good friend of mine. You know, he started his own business up in Portland, Maine, and he and I both, you know, kept talking about how, what are we going to do? How are we going to, what are we going to do? And I'd be dreaming about how many bread, loaves of bread I could sell and how much I could make, you know, how many mm-hmm. loaves I could make. And so it kind of, it was in me. I couldn't help it. So how old were you when this was starting to evolve to a real business? Well, in my mind, it was, you know, it was, it was probably the eight, I was probably 18, 19 after, mm-hmm. you know, no, no, after college, be 21, 22. Mm-hmm. I was sort of around those age. And I, and I came back and worked for my dad. Once I realized I hated it in Boston mm-hmm. with a suit and tie every day, I came back and worked that summer. And then something natural became available. It was on the market. And the Fleming family owned the building on the cliff where I am now. And they also owned where uh, Jordan's real estate is across from the uh, post office downtown. So they had both of those for sale. The one where Jordan's is sold right away. And the cliff road sat for about a year and a half. And I was the only one kind of crazy enough to do it by it. What was it before? Was it still the it sandwich was, shop? It was the same thing. Mm-hmm. They they had, uh, but it, it was the same thing, but it was not quite at the level it is now. Right. It was, uh, they had downtown, downstairs was a more of a health food store and they would bring sandwiches from the cliff down to the health food store. And then up at the cliff was where they did their baking and they had a sandwich shop. My wife and her sister worked there. You know, I met her. I met my wife there. I joke around that I bought the business and she came she with came it, with <laughs> which it, was, it didn't happen right away. It took me a few years to right. convince her. But, right. you know, and, and so we but it was so different. They used to sit on a porch outside and swing waiting for customers to come in the middle of the day. And you don't see that now. No, no, not no. like that now. Just the kids on the swings. But why was it crazy for you to buy it at that time? Oh, it was, you know, four hundred thousand dollars and eighteen percent interest rates. It was a whole different world. It was eighty three, eighty four. And, you know, my parents I was fortunate that they were able to sign a line of credit, help me out a little bit. You know, I didn't know what I was getting into. I'd watch my dad walk around with a clipboard and you know, and write things down. I thought, What is he doing? How hard could that be? And I got started and I hired all cute girls and they all left and I had no one working for me. And I'm like, what did I do? You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. But you the know. seasonal first year uh, must be a, a shock to the system. Oh, it was a huge shock. I was baking in two places. I had the bakery on the cliff and I was still baking for my dad down on the wharf. And I had a couple people working with me and mm-hmm. one of my key ones left. And it was just one of those mm-hmm. stories. So then how were those first years? How did you get through them and what was on the horizon? I got through them just perseverance. Mm-hmm. Like, and I look at business, I, I think a lot of it is just you have to have a good product and you have to care about what you do. But I think a lot of it is just being there every day and working hard. And so I, you know, I had a, a couple of moments of doubt early years. And then I finally said, I'm going to put put my best effort for five years mm-hmm. and see what happens and see what happens. And once I did that, I sort of shifted my own thinking. Once I did that, it really took off. I added a you know, I added a bigger oven and another oven and I added refrigeration and things, mm-hmm. you know, I standardized things. And before you knew it, it was, you know, is similar to what it is today. Running like a machine. Did you think you had that, that business mind? Are you, um, was that more of the success, do you think? And then the good product to begin with, since you don't like the public, but then you run, you, no, run, and I, <laughs> you run a restaurant, but you really are. I mean, you have skill and success for a year. I mean, it's been decades. You've been there for how many years? Oh, I think this is like 30th oh geez it was 84 so what is that 33 34 you look pretty good you look pretty, oh, thank you. pretty, pretty good i've been managing gentlemen i've been managing in. a bakery for i've been managing seasoning for 40 years which is amazing like i looked at it i i got pulled out of school in uh 
oh, this was like my senior year in high school. I was at, at Tabor. I was in prep school. My dad called, and the baker had quit because we didn't have hot water. And, you know, she stormed off in a huff, and I he pulled me out of school a couple of days before the exams were done, and I came down and started working. So I've been doing it for 40 years, wow. 41 years. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Matt Fee. He's the owner of Something Natural on Cliff Road, a fantastic bake shop, sandwich shop, famous cookies. And you also have your own line of drinks, too. When did the, the Matt Fee drinks come into play? Well, Matt Fee tea is, is the original drink we started with, and that was a red zinger tea. It's an herb tea with lemon, basic lemonade with red zinger tea that the Fleming family did. And we were bought, we were not bottling it. We were putting it in plastic cups. They had done that, and I followed. We did that and lemonade. And then the town changed the rules so you couldn't have plastic cups. So I was like, oh, boy, what are we going to do? And uh, we ended up, uh, we ended up, I ended up calling some bottlers and was mm-hmm. going to start doing this. And didn't, you know, was really busy, didn't get around to it. And the next thing that happened is Tom and Tom came running up from Nectars. I was going to say, when, this must be with Nantucket got. Nantucket this was right before them. They, I, so I was ta- contacting bottlers before they had started. Uh-huh. And so they came running up and they looked at me and I had a building and all they had was a boat. So I was like the rich guy, you know. <laughs> and they came up and they said, well, you know, geez, man, it's really hard and this and that. I go, yeah, I probably won't get around to it. They said, well, how about if we do it? And I said, sure, you can do it. And this is a pretty good story. because So Tom and Tom drew straws to see which one of them had to come up with the legal work for me. Because it was, you know, they were going to own my own, my kids and my kids' kids and all this stuff. <laughs> the lawyer was a, was a pretty sharp guy. And uh, so Tom first, I mean, Tom Scott lost. Uh-huh. He came up and showed it to me. I go, Tom, I can't sign this. He goes, we knew you wouldn't sign it. I go, how about you give me your word that, you know, that you give me a, you give me a good price on the the drinks that we buy here and I'll mm-hmm. let you do whatever you want with it. Great. We shook hands and that lasted through their ownership, through Dr. Pepper Snapple, through Cabaret Schweppes. It made it all the way to like seven up. And then finally, you know, eight years or so ago, they uh, were going to stop doing Matt Fee tea uh-huh. and people here were going crazy. So we started doing it ourselves <laughs> and that's led to doing a couple other drinks as well now. And uh, the bread is really famous, the Portuguese bread. That's your number one seller, I, I guess. Oh, yeah, by far. And how did you get into Stop and Shop? How did that uh, collaboration happen? And- it's hard. Bread is a tough thing. Uh, you know, we've got a you know sort of a one, and a one, one and a half day shelf life on mm-hmm. Portuguese. Some of the other breads last a couple of days, yeah. hala or herb. But, uh, yeah, we how we got there originally was uh, my uncle ran the Island Pharmacy, which is right next to Finest. Mm-hmm. which was stop and shop, which was finest before. And so he, what happened is he would, he was selling like two, 300 loaves a day out of the, out of there. And he wasn't allowed to sell food at the time or grocery items. So the uh, stop and shop said, well, you can't do that. We'll do it. Uh-huh. And so that, they kind of took us in 20 years ago now, 25 years ago. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And the sandwiches, I've always wanted to ask, it's genius that you make a half as big as a regular, <laughs> as a regular <laughs> sandwich. Was that for the beach, or how did you end up choosing that, your size of sandwich? I, I I wish I could take credit. Again, I wish I could take credit, <laughs> but I was just smart enough to continue what they were doing, and that was the Fleming family started that as well. That was their tradition. That was their tradition, and the, I've added some different sandwiches. We've added a couple of breads. You know, we've made the herb bread used to be a little heartier. We've made that a little lighter, mm-hmm. uh, and so we've you know I've, I've refined things, but I've. You know, and they didn't have Portuguese bread. They had a sourdough bread that came out of a mix. Mm-hmm. And so we had a Portuguese, and that's the biggest seller by far. Yeah. And what are the main challenges when you're really running a business, do you feel? 
oh, right now, I, it's, and it's always been this way, it's employees. Mm-hmm. It's, it's having people who, who, care, who care about it and, you know, want to you know, be part of your business. It's difficult. You have such a short window of time to make your money for the year, and you're just trying to get people in and out so fast. I mean, we all have been in that parking lot. We all know what yeah. that line's like, but it moves fast. It, once you know that the, move, the line moves fast, you will always wait. How do you make things more efficient in your mind? We as a business, and I try to make things a little better every year. And, and the, I, the things I like doing are figuring out how to make more bread more quickly, how to get more people through the business more easily. I mean, mm-hmm. it's sort of, you know, and it's all... If you can serve the customers or if I can, you know, make the employee's job easier, mm-hmm. then everything's going to go better. Have you thought of delivery? We've t- we've thought about it. And, I, and I've also tried to do, you know, a set menu and deliver it downtown. No mm-hmm. one wanted it. People want what they want exactly the way they want when it. When they want it. And when they want it. So it's kind of <laughs> – and delivery right now I would – would be tough here yeah. with the traffic, the and, traffic getting, and getting and getting people in and out. We have a hard enough time. We have two trucks running bread all over the island, starting about you know five or six in the morning till four and the five in the afternoon. Aside from obvious growth over the years here on the island with more tourists, what have you seen change in the food world here on Nantucket in your experience? Oh, I'd, what have I seen change? I, I think there's more. There's way more competition. I think there's higher expectations than there were necessarily back then we used to i think back to my dad it was a seafood restaurant and now everything has to be sort of more high end and lately one thing that worries me and i'm a selectman as well is i think we're sort of catering it used to be we were catering really to families and the other stuff was an afterthought Mm -hmm. and now i almost think that we're starting to cater to sort of uh you know oh how do i say i think we're more catering to sort of a drinking crowd or to a party scene. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm a little worried that we're sort of, as an island, losing our way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that when we were catering to families and, and, and those things, I think it kind of made us what we are. I'm mm-hmm. a little worried that we're, you know, sort of lost sight of what Nantucket, what the experience and what the summer is. Um, I think that's an excellent point. Do you, um, do you see the, the clientele changing as, as a result of that too? I think so. Mm-hmm. I, I, because I, I go back, you know, as long as I go back, and I remember sort of the the high-end guys that were here, they, you'd see them at the, you know, you'd see them out fishing, and you'd still see them at the, you know, the Anglers Club, or they, they'd be out and about like everybody else. Now people are sort of more, they they, they tend to keep to themselves. Mm-hmm. They've got a private club and you can't go in, or they, you know, they have private meals at home. Mm-hmm. They And the other thing, this is a good one, is it's, I think it's the internet and the instantaneousness. The high-speed boats have changed us. It's people. People look, and if it's not going to be a nice weekend, they don't come out. Mm. When we, when I was a kid, if you didn't book in February, you didn't get on the boat, and if you didn't book in February, you didn't get a place to stay. So our season, you know, even though the season was really short, it started to lengthen. And when people came for a week, they were here for a full week. If it was pouring rain, they would go to the you know, whaling museum and they'd right. go do all the things and they'd, be, they'd, they'd have a different love of Nantucket. Right. It wasn't just partying and drinking and, you know, and being here when it's sunny. They, they the people had a different sort of were forced in, you know, because of circumstances were forced into a different. Hey, view rainy of the day, a rainy day to me is as good as a sunny day here on Nantucket. Oh, it, it's uh, great. Yeah, read a book, board game. And some of the restaurants that used to service some, some of the, mm-hmm. you know, some of the people, you know, have lost business because they're out, you know, the private clubs, they're out at the private clubs and they have a set minimum. There's a certain amount they have to pay regardless. So things are turning into nightclubs to, you know, 
partly because they couldn't stay restaurants. It's, it's weird. It's shifting. Yeah. You seem to still be a sort of a touchstone, though, because people still go out during the day to the beach. It is family friendly and people still love a good sandwich. So hopefully that hasn't changed. No, <laughs> hopefully that's the touchstone. I don't, I, don't, I don't think I plan to. I'd like, yeah. to, I'd like to add a, you know, a better sourdough. I'd like to change one of my ovens a bit. Right. You know, I'd like to evolve there. You know, when I first started, they didn't like any bread that was hard or that was burned. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, that the, the people have an appreciation for that. You know, so that, you know, that's an a- angle I'd like to add in the, probably this winter if I can get it done. So you have chosen to open a new restaurant for the first time in ever? <laughs> uh, no, I did it once before and did. it didn't work. Yeah, And at one point I, I had the bagel company where the green is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So at one point I had... Uh, I had a, the bagel company there. I had a bagel company downtown. We had a place in Newburyport. And I just realized I did, it was too stretched. Mm-hmm. And I had young kids. And I was like, I said, you know what? I'm just as happy with, with something natural than trying to be too much. Uh, so, but you are opening another restaurant in Greenwich? Yes. Another cafe. So what's that style? Is it going to be a copycat version of it? It's going to, yeah, it's going to copy us as closely as possible. I'm licensing it, licensing it with a couple people down there. One has got a chain of restaurants called mm-hmm. Salsa Fresca. So he has the restaurant experience. The other one is a chef. Mm-hmm. And I've had plenty of people who have contacted me over the years, but these guys seemed like they were, you know, they were adding something to it. Why did you pick that location? <laughs> uh, well, Seth, one of the, you know, one of the owners down there, he was, he is uh, the real estate guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he does a construction company along with his restaurants and he, you know, he found it and it's, it's kind of perfect. It's the same era as our building. It's, uh, 1890 or so. Uh-huh. They had to rehab and do a lot of work. It's also hidden. It's like behind uh, the sacks right off of the main drag. And mm-hmm. so, and it's hidden in like in a parking lot. So if you walked along looking for the number, you wouldn't find it. Uh-huh. So I think it's it's going to be very similar to the experience yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> you have to come and find us somehow. Yeah, you do. I know. I feel like I've gotten lost going there many times when I first moved here. I said, where's that place again? I don't know. Yeah. Cliff Road's such a big road, but yet I always <laughs> wonder which way I go. Oh, um, we have a rock now because people keep stealing the sign. So we put oh. a rock up that they couldn't lift. <laughs> but and so they still find us somehow. Uh, so what do you love to eat? What are your favorite breads? Uh, of our breads, I would say it's probably Portuguese yeah. or six grain for a sandwich. Mm, yeah. I, or the other one is I, I do herb. I like herb buns for hamburgers. Ooh. Hamburgers or sausage with an herb bun is the best. Nice. So those are my those are mine right now. And what about other bakeries or bread companies? Obviously, there's some famous bread um, companies on the West Coast. Well, there's Tartine, which is everyone's going crazy. Oh yeah. About. So yeah. there's Tartine, and then also the guys in New York City who do the pizza, who started with the pizza as well, Tart- the Sullivan yeah, Street guys. So yeah. you have Tartine, Sullivan Street, who are kind of the leaders on the East and the West Coast, who really. They even have their cookbooks to kind of bring bread to the masses. But making bread is very hard. I've, <laughs> I think it's one of the most beautiful art forms. It's life. It creates life. I mean, yeast and, and water and flour, it's amazing that it can form something so delicious and beautiful. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. And, and, and that's what those guys are doing is something that you couldn't have done 30 years ago. Mm. People wouldn't have accepted it. And I would do French bread. I used to steam it. I used to have a better oven for it. And people didn't want it. They thought it was old. And so now the, the, the palettes have changed and people's mm-hmm. view of it as of, of bakeries have changed, which is great. Yeah. So have you seen a shift from the gluten-free people to um, artisan lovers kind of joining in and still filling that gap? A little bit. I think it's, you know, and we're kind of, it's interesting. We're placed in between, I would say. We've always been sort of in between artisan bread and or store-bought. 
Mm-hmm. So we've had this kind of a weird niche. What other breads do you like when you go out and explore new cities and go try new food? Oh, what are I, some of your favorite? Yeah, we were in San Francisco <laughs> with my daughter for soccer. We went right to Tartine. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm doing that. We were in New York, and you know, I went and we go to Sullivan Street and see that. Mm-hmm. I worked with uh, Christine Abe at Clearflower for a couple winters up mm-hmm. in Boston, and they're sort of on the forefront of the whole sort of artisan movement. Right, in New England, and now they're, they've are they spread out, too? No, they stay, look, you know, this is, they're similar to me. They yeah. they stay in, uh, you know, in Brookline, in yeah. their one place, and they do a really good job of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, myself and those guys, they are all founding members of the Bread Bakers Guild, which has started in, like, 1993. And so that's been sort of spreading the word on sort of real bread and how mm-hmm. to do it. Is it getting exciting to think about the new ingredients for bread, a lot of people are milling their own flour. We're going to that extent. Does that does that get you excited about bread? It does. It's it's it, and it's things that I want to do more of myself. And mm-hmm. so that's the now whether I have the space to get there or not, I'm not sure. It's it's funny. I had a um I was been talking to an oven consultant about our space, and you're supposed to do. I think it's he says the uh, a lot of bread is a pound and a half per square foot. So a thousand square feet can do. 1,500 pounds of bread, which is, you know, what is that? Like uh, 1,500 one-pound loaves, probably more like 700 loaves of bread a day mm-hmm. in a 24-hour day. That's sort of their thing. Wow, and formula. So I, yeah. yeah, so his is formula. And I gave him, uh, you know, the numbers that we do uh-huh. in 600 square feet with two huge ovens. And he was blown away. He's like, oh, my God, there's only, you know, one bakery in Petaluma that comes close. And they roll their stuff down the road and slice it in a different building. And well, he's like, "How do you do that?" And I go, "That's where you get your. That's I'm a Harvard grad." <laughs> well, well, and also we, you know, I, also I want it out so it can sell. Yeah. It doesn't do any good sitting in the back room, but yeah. we move it out to get the next stuff through. But it was, it's pretty interesting. Well, before you go, I I do want to share with the audience that Matt wanted his team to be here in in his position talking about the business and the restaurant because they are the hands behind the day to day activities. They weren't able to make it, so he, they're working or <laughs> probably on. Uh, on the line, but it was great no, that Matt came no. in and uh, spoke on behalf of them and for something natural. So it was a pleasure talking to you today. It's really exciting to learn about the history of this place and of uh, bread on island. So Matt, thanks again for being here today. No, oh, thank you very much. Good it's luck with your here. new with your new property. Is it off ninety five? Is it close? It's to... fairly close. It's right. It's downtown Greenwich. Great. So yeah, it's it's pretty close. Well, good luck with your new property. We wish you success. All right. Well, great. Thank you very much. Thanks, Matt. Thank you again for listening to Camille's Demi Hour. Tune in every weekend through Labor Day on 89.5 Nantucket's NPR station, Saturday mornings at 10.30 and Sundays at 11.30. If you want to hear the full episodes, you can find me on iTunes. Cheers! Come on!